Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the My Fit Podcast. This week on the show, I chat with Jared Enderton. Jared is a CrossFit Games athlete, former full-time weightlifter at the Olympic Training Center and a USA national silver medalist in the clean and jerk. Jared is currently the head weightlifting coach under Invictus and also hosts weekend seminars around the country. If you guys are interested in improving your weightlifting or wanting to hear some stories about weightlifting, Jared is the perfect guy to go to. He's very seasoned in the sport. And today, the goal of today's conversation was to do exactly that. Pick apart the snatch and the clean and jerk as best we can in conversation format. Sometimes it's difficult when uh, you're not in a gym or have somebody in front of you. But what my goal of the episode was specifically was to make sure I covered as many different types of athletes as I could when it comes to weightlifting. So I try to put out a bunch of different buckets and see if we could try to uh, accomplish talking about all different kinds of athletes that have different struggles with the snatch and clean and jerk. And I think we did a great job. Some of the topics specifically that we got into were first Jared's upbringing his, and his athletic endeavors, and also just learning about his time spent at the Olympic Training Center. So very small percentage of people that get a chance to go uh, be a full-time athlete out there. So I was curious about what his biggest takeaways were from being at such a, um, a, a premier stage. After that, we talked about where should beginners start with a snatch and clean and jerk. I think sometimes it's fun to talk about CrossFit Games athletes and Olympic medalists, but really the majority of people that we need to be as coaches talking more about is that beginner and intermediate athlete. And Jared does a great job talking about where to start, what are some of the things that we should be doing and shouldn't be doing when we're looking to progress the snatch and clean and jerk for beginners. After that, Jared shared his favorite auxiliary movements to improve the snatch. And we talked about how to improve end range positions. For those of you that have experienced and worked a little bit with a snatch and clean and jerk, you know that mobility is a huge piece of being successful in that sport. So we talked about how can we strengthen those end ranges and thus become more mobile. After that, we talked about the importance of slowing down in order to eventually speed up. Both the Olympic lifts, snatch and clean and jerk are very fast and explosive movements. Yet, if we can't do it under some slow tempo, sometimes it's going to be difficult when people want to just grip and rip the barbell. So being able to dial things back, work on positions, technique, and slow things down uh, is a huge indicator of your success with the two lifts. After that, we talk about how to make weightlifting more consistent. And when you are more consistent, then it's more enjoyable. I think uh, we've all kind of had those days at the gym where sometimes it's just not clicking. We're just not be being able to be consistent with our lifts, even if it's a little bit lighter and thus it's not very enjoyable and fun to be around. So Jared gives some ways for us to be more consistent and thus enjoy the sport. 
If you guys enjoyed the show and you want to hear more from Jared, be sure to follow him on Instagram. He posts some really great stuff. Check out his seminars on the weekends. And if you're interested in getting coached by Jared, head over to Invictus, CrossFitInvictus.com and check out the weightlifting program. And once again, I hope I was able to cover all different types of people, different types of athletes that have different areas of weaknesses and strengths when it comes to the clean and jerk. We talked about people who uh, have a really good overhead squat, but can't really do well when it comes to a dynamic uh, movement like the snap. We talked about timing, basically everything that has to do with the two movements. It was a troubleshooting session going through each piece. So if you enjoy strength and conditioning, you enjoy talking shop about the clean, the snatch and clean and jerk, I think this would be a great episode for you. And the guy on the other side does a fantastic job at uh, breaking things down and piecing it all together. So as always, if you guys enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating, review, and refer to a friend. All those things really just go a long way and they help my show grow tremendously. Thank you all for your continued support every single week. It's so great to be back. I hope you enjoy this episode. So with Without further delay, let's get to the show with Mr. Jared Enderton. Let's go. Jared, what's up, man? Welcome to the MyFit Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excited to uh, talk to you today. Absolutely, man. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, having you at the gym a little bit here and there, slinging around some weights and kind of making a comeback into the CrossFit and weightlifting scene. For those of the people that don't know, maybe they're new to the sport, they don't know who Jared Enderton is. I want to give you the floor. Who is Jared Enderton? How'd you get into weightlifting? Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, I've had an interesting journey to say the least. I feel like, I don't know, some days I wake up and I'm like, <laughs> my whole athletic journey has been pretty, pretty wild. Um, like I started wrestling all that in high school. And then from there, I went into strongman. So I was gained like 115 pounds in about a year. So I called it the freshman 115 instead of <laughs> freshman 15. <laughs> like, <laughs> so going from that wrestling mindset in Iowa, kind of by you there in Minnesota, to strongman where it's like, you just eat everything. And then did that for three years. And then immediately um, in 2010, went into weightlifting. So I lost the hundred pounds. So it's like, I kind of way up, way down, just gaining a gaining hundred pounds, like, you know, like this, losing hundred pounds like this. And then uh, wanted to go into a weight class sport. So I did weightlifting. I knew what it was from strongman. You know, you do everything there, you know, Highland games and powerlifting. You just kind of train all modalities or at least know of them. And then, <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to make the 2016 Olympics and did not do that. And I knew early I wasn't going to. So in 2015, in September, started CrossFit full time. Um, yeah, and then just went into CrossFit. I always knew I was going to after 2016. I just didn't, was hoping it wouldn't be until 2016, but obviously I uh, didn't make it to that level in weightlifting. Uh, so yeah, I went into CrossFit and um, uh, yeah, now I've been, after the 2018 games, have not competed. So I've just been, Last couple of years have been uh, interesting to say the least in, in some good ways and some interesting ways. And then now just like the last six months or so, I've been like, all right, time to get moving again, time to get back to what I enjoy, which is working out, challenging myself, lifting weights. Uh, and doing a little bit of CrossFit. So <laughs> <laughs> slowly getting back into that breathing hard stuff again, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's taken some, yeah, my body has not liked it every day, but I've been making sure I do something every day. Very cool. So when you got into the scene, I think a lot of people that have been in the sport a while remember you as kind of the weightlifting guy. You were putting up huge numbers, 300 pound snatches, things like that. Tell me a little bit about what was that process like when you got, you said you got into CrossFit in 2015. When did you start slinging around barbell weight and starting to really find yourself to be a really successful weightlifter? When did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah, I knew early on, like I knew going into CrossFit. So like when I started uh, in September of 2015, and like that open was in February of 2016. So I'm like, Hey, I got six months and I haven't done conditioning in about a decade. Like 
I, the strength is going to be there. So I did very little lifting, um, but I was coming in with like a, well, my best snatch was 345, but like at that time I still could snatch 330 pretty much any day. Uh, so I was like, Hey, I don't need to snatch or clean and jerk much, still clean and jerk and over 400. Um, so I, I knew going in to CrossFit that I had a really good base. Mobility was there from my wrestling background. I used to do a lot of, you know, gymnastic stuff, just mess around on our hands. Used to do a lot of pull-ups, push-ups, like just body weight awareness. Um, it was just learning after a decade to go back into the pain cave of like, this is really what you have to learn to dive into and actually trying to get somewhat of a resemblance of an aerobic system. But yeah, right away with, uh, with CrossFit, with like the barbell stuff, it was, uh, you know, like that year, 2016 regionals, I think it was, there was a snatch ladder event that I won at regionals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, this CrossFit thing, I kind of like this. And (laughs) then of course they made us breathe hard the rest of the weekend. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I need a lot more work, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew right away I'd, I'd have a little bit of an advantage in that area and I just needed to keep it sharp. And I, you know, I think often, uh, people that have a strength focus so much on their weaknesses that their strength just becomes okay. And I, I've always been the opposite. I wanted my strength to be a super strength. Like I want to win that event. I want to, because it's like the scoring system and the way that works. I'm like, no, I don't want to get like a fifth. I need to make sure I'm still winning that event while working on the weaknesses. So I would do enough to try to make sure my strength was really high, but um, I wasn't ever actively working on it when I switched into CrossFit. Sure. So also for the people that don't know, I want you to give just a couple of seconds here to brag upon yourself. I know you don't like to, I know you're a very humble guy, but tell us a little bit about what are some of the best numbers you put up snatch, clean and jerk some of your squat stuff, just so people can start to kind of put a vision of who Jared Anderson is around the barbell. Yeah. When I just weightlifted, uh, that'd probably be the best context. I was 94 kilo. So 206.8. Um, my best snatch was 345, uh, pounds. My best clean and jerk was 429, uh, back squat. Gosh, I, I, it's been a while. I mean, I did, hmm, I don't even, even for a top single, I don't know, close to 600, uh, you know, just a, a high bar weightlifting type back squat. And obviously at that time I was doing, I was always even better in weightlifting and squats and stuff better at repping out. So like at that time I had, I had done like 507 for 10 and a high bar back squat. Um, but yeah, those are the main numbers kind of, I always would track front squat, you know, over 500 somewhere, maybe low fives, 529, 530, somewhere around there. Wow. Super impressive, man. What, what, when you look back at those days, Jared, what were some of the things that you kind of remember? What was, what was the training like? Kind of take us back into what it was like to be a weightlifter. Those are some fun days. Like, oh man, I just even, even just saying like, what were those days like? Make it puts a smile on my face. Cause those were like my early twenties, um, early to mid twenties, a lot of fun training and, you know, I really didn't become, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be like a really experienced or good weightlifter competitor or mature athlete in any way until I started changing into CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like the little local competitions or national things I would do after I CrossFit in 2015 and 2016, even into 2017, those were the times I was the best weightlifter. So I felt like in a lot of ways, um, there were some years wasted in my early twenties because I was so stubborn and I would train so hard and then just bury myself. Like, uh, we did a lot of like the, uh, Bulgarian method, which was just max every, all day, every day. Like you just twice on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, once in the morning for two, two and a half hours. And then in the afternoon, you would max snatch, max clean jerk, max front squat. 
In the afternoon, you'd get crazy and you'd go max snatch, max clean and jerk, max back squat. So what? you got a bigger, yeah. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, just once a day, you would go max power snatch, max power clean and jerk, and then you would do pulls, deadlifts, and then you would squat action for volume instead of maxing. Um, Dude, what would that? What would that? Real quick, what would that do to your body? How would you feel after that? You know, I, I haven't got into weightlifting like that, especially at to that level, of course. But how does your body kind of react and and recover to something like maxing out twice a day every day? Um, the, the, it's a different fatigue than like a CrossFit fatigue. It's very, it's joints. It's, uh, it's your brain, like your brain fog. You like, you just feel out of it at all times. And like, and the worst part is if you take a break or like you take a couple of days off, it's like your body starts to feel good. And like, it's hard to get back into that mode again, where your body's just like submitting is kind of like the way to put it is that's what it feels like is, um, it, if you just become like, a, um, my friend, the good friend, John North, uh, trained with a lot in the early days is always like your body just becomes a robot. And it's true. Like you just, I don't know, you get so used to just your, every, your joints hurting all the time, being sore, your brain just, I mean, and at that time, you know, we were just housing caffeine, like, it, <laughs> like just to try to get some kind of up, like to get excited for training again. Um, you know, so there's a lot of times, like, obviously that wasn't the smartest way to train and we just didn't know any better. And it was just, but it's what we did. And it's like, and a lot of, but also looking back, my doing that for so long was the absolute pivotal key point for me, like learning technique for me to actually just react and be an athlete with weightlifting and just do how many thousands of reps, you know, it's like I would snatch a clean jerk more in one of those weeks than a lot of people do in six months. Mm. Like I would have more reps in, in that week, you know, so it's just, uh, felt like it was just like a forced, like, Hey, you're either going to sink or swim here. So let's go. Right. Even at, even at that top level, Jared, you said, you mentioned you do more snatches than some people do in six months. Does that mean, are those, are those working weights? Are those a lot of warm up weights? Talk, uh, show us a little bit about even from an elite athlete, how much time do you spend even just with empty bar working on technique stuff? Yeah, that's a huge part. Um, that's the, one of the main things I, I try to coach athletes with is warm up more like mm -hmm. Olympic champions who are snatching 440 pounds. Uh, you know, they're spending five, 10 minutes with an empty bar, you know? So like us, we shouldn't be going like, Hey, we'll do like a couple back squats with the bar and then throw on 135. you know, it's like they, and they're snatching way more, you know? So, um, they're spending a lot of time on the bar and they always do. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I made sure, especially, and I always have just, just how I've been always spend a lot of time with the empty bar, whether it's, um, you know, just going through a little five, 10 minute or a couple five minute routine of barbell stuff, deadlifts, back squats, presses, then getting into some muscle snatches, then some power snatches, then some squat snatches, then going into maybe some, you know, snatch grip, zots press type thing from behind the neck, snatch balance, just doing a general flow warm up with the barbells, always crucial. And I even did that in the weightlifting days. Like, you know, like I said, I did that with the Bulgarian, like the Bulgarian style for a while. Then I got into smarter training, like in 20. 13, 14, when I was at the Olympic Training Center here in Colorado Springs, much more scheduled, regimented uh, progressions, periodization. It was much smarter. And I really enjoyed it. Got a lot more out of those days. Uh, and that's where a lot of those positional warmups that I really started incorporating in my coaching came from. You know, whether it's doing a snatch balance before you snatch, doing a uh, drop snatch, doing uh, press and split jerk position before you, maybe you're doing split jerks, like just doing things to build some positional strength, mobility, and awareness prior to doing the lifts. So whether it's with the empty bar or a little bit of weight, uh, that was something I didn't really learn on until later on in my weightlifting career. 
Yeah, I think that's a missing piece, Jared. And I think a lot of it too is a lot of time, right? A lot of people that are listening, they're they're going across their class. There's just not enough time within the 60 minutes. But if you can somehow as a coach programmer, we try to throw in an empty bar warm-up almost every day. But implementing that stuff, I think that taking the extra five to 10 minutes will could prolong your career, could make your lifting that much better. Sometimes I know it's an annoyance for people because they just want to get to the 135. They just want to put the plates on. But having the obedience to take the time to warm up the empty bar, I think is just reiterating those positions. And it's not just for that day. It's just, it's just to grease the groove over and over again. I think that's something that people need to come back to if you've gotten away from it. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's the foundation. It really is. It's because those, that, those empty bar reps and what you're doing sets the, uh, it sets the standard and the, for what you're doing the entire day. So like if you don't do a single full squat snatch to like max depth with the empty bar and the first time you do that's like in your fifth set in and you're already close to a working weight, of course your bottom position is not going to be warm and your rhythm is going to be a little off. You're not going to meet the bar. Right. You know, so it's, um, and that's not for everybody, the more experienced you are, you know, you know, you'll see some athletes like power clean before they're going to end up doing a max squat clean because maybe their legs aren't as strong. Like there's some things, some wiggle room in there. Um, but yeah, it's like that empty bar just sets, it just primes you, like you said, and just gets you, gets you moving, gets you ready for the rest of the session. And it also is a way to continually work on your technique. Like even when I'm doing it, I'm making, I'm trying to make sure every rep is perfect. Just like I'm, it was a max snatch, you know? Right. You mentioned you spent some time at the Olympic training center. What was that like? That was awesome. It was, uh, I felt like th- those were the days and the time, um, like I really became a more mature athlete just from the coaches, Zygmunt Smolchers. He was a 1960 Olympic champion for Poland. Um, and he was the head U S coach for quite a while there, but he really, um, he was so good with technical stuff. And in terms of, uh, given a lot of positional stuff, like I had never done more positional stuff in my entire life at the time. I hated it because I'm like, just let me max out. Like, I just want to go. Uh, like I just did. Can, can you give us an example of what that, what that looked like, what that, what that meant? Yeah. So like for years, I just was like, oh yeah, we're going to snatch and clean jerk this session. We're going to squat and probably do some poles and some pull-ups and some core or something. And like there, I mean, it was like three weeks in and I'm like, I want to go heavy. Like I need to go heavy. So it's an example. A session might be like, um, you know, snatch grip, zots press from behind the neck. You might do four sets of six, you know, building in weight as you go. And then we might do a, uh, a, a snatch with a three second pause at the knee, but only working up to like 65% for triples. So you do, you know, maybe six sets of triples at 65% of the, with a three second pause at the knee. And that was like the, so it was almost like you had the, the uh, positional exercise that was the zots press. And then you would do like a lighter, snatch movement well then you would continue on after that snatch with a three second pause at the knee and we might do a snatch plus an overhead squat but at 80 percent for you know six sets and then we would go into a back squat and just do you know some a general back squat five sets of three let's call it well then afterwards we would do a snatch pull with like a six second lowering mm. and then you know so it was all these things where it was like pause and lowering and slow pulls and warming up you know with the zots press and um, and I was just used to be like, Hey, let's work up to 90% in the snatch, but we know where we're going. Hey, 90% is 10 away from hundred percent. Might as well just said like, you know, if we were unpoliced, that's what we would usually do. So, um, it was definitely like, it made me a lot more patient and diligent and focus on the positions and mobility 
and holding those positions and a lot of like, you know, jerk from splits. So we would do push press from split, jerk from split, just spending, we spent so much time in the weightlifting positions um, that it was really, really good for me, even though at the time I was, I was having a hard time being patient. <laughs> totally. How I, how I see that is it's almost like when you're at the Olympic training center and I'm just speaking from how I see it, it's almost like you were drilling, you were practicing the sport. And before that, when you were doing the Bulgarian stuff, you were playing the sport. And if we look at, you know, uh, professional basketball players, they are, they play their sport or their football players play on Sundays, but they're practicing throughout the week. It almost seems to me in my coaching career that there needs to be a balance of how many times you're playing and how many times you're drilling. And it seemed like you had kind of two different experiences, one where you're playing the sport, maxing out every other day and another where you're doing a lot of drill work. What benefited more from you? What, what, what resonated more with you? How do you kind of view the, the, the idea of drilling the sport versus playing the sport? Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. There has to be some kind of combination, uh, especially for the brain, just to stay emotionally um, involved and, and motivated for it. And, you know, it's like the CrossFit saying, I'm sure, you probably, I'm sure you've heard it or said it too, is like, there's some athletes who compete their way out of shape. Like they do so many local competitions. They do so many competitions. They're doing so many qualifiers that it's like, you're just doing a qualifier all the time, which you're not wanting to be sore for the qualifier. So you took the day off before or it was easy or, you know, so it's like just, and that's the same way. And I feel like with the weightlifting is the first way was like, I was basically just competing every single day, all day. And while that was okay and it was good and it was satisfying in the moment, you're exactly right. Like I wasn't really practicing the sport. I wasn't getting better at positions, you know, for weeks and months on end, I might be missing the same weight in a, in a snatch or a clean and jerk, but I never took, I, I wasted those two months in focusing on why I was missing that weight. You know, I just kept banging my head against the wall instead of being trying to um, reflect and assess well, why are you missing that weight? Does your posterior chain need to get stronger? Do you need to just do more volume in your squats and back the percentages on the snatch and clean jerk way down? Um, so I feel like there has to be some kind of uh, healthy combination. And that's what I started to get into even after I left the Olympic Training Center, um, had hip surgery in 2013, and then was training off site and was working to go back to the Olympic Training Center. But that's really eventually what it kind of evolved into was a better combination of doing le- trying to do less meets um, less peaking to where maybe I was only doing two or three a year or maybe even four um, or, you know, one or two of them being pretty small and more just hey, let's focus on why, like I need to raise my clean jerk up 10 kilos. How? Like let's, okay, squat, squats. Like I always needed my legs to get stronger. So that's really what I started to dive into and then more positional stuff, especially for me around, um, around the knee position is where I really struggled for a long time, where I pull myself out of position. So I worked on that a lot too. It's a great minor too for anybody out there listening is just the idea that the, some of the best athletes in the world, some of the best lifters in the world are at this Olympic training center and they're taking the time to devote their sessions into positional awareness, working on different positions and drilling the sport rather than um, just throwing up their one at max every day as, as all, like you said, as, as enticing as that sounds, that's not where we're going to make our biggest gains. Like it's just a, a really good nugget for people to remember as they get into, into weightlifting. Um, Jared, if we kind of get into uh, tr- uh, the idea today was to troubleshoot 
will shoot the snatch and the clean and jerk. So these are two movements that are very dynamic. They're hard to discuss on a podcast, and it's a lot easier when you have somebody in front of you, but we'll do our best here. And I think the first thing I want to start with, Jared, is the beginner. So talk to me about how do you progress somebody who is new to the sport of weightlifting? And I'm going to, I know weightlifting and CrossFit are very much different, but I'm going to kind of categorize them together. Let's say they're stepping into a box and they just don't have a lot of experience with uh, the snatch and the clean and jerk. As a coach, where do you start? What are some of the things that you, you really want to implement? And what are some things that are like, look, this is really not for you right now. Where does kind of your mind go when you start to progress a beginner? Yeah, the beginner, um, the first thing I want to do when I see a, like a beginner come in, whatever, is I want them to, like, I'm obsessed with weightlifting. I love weightlifting. Even when I went into CrossFit, like I've always just coached weightlifting. I just, I enjoy doing that. And I enjoy the feeling of it. So with the beginner, like the first thing I want is I want them to feel the athleticism of it. I want them to feel that dynamic part of it, because if they're coming in, let's say they do have a little bit of a background or maybe they bench pressed or done something like at a globo gym, maybe I want them to feel they're on their feet, they're jumping, they're exploding, they're catching something. And, you know, that phase I always call like the sensation of flotation. Like I want them to feel kind of that pop in the bar and getting that athleticism again. So, um, so I usually started from the top of the lift and I, of course, make sure they're safe. And with a PVC pipe, I'm going to, you know, make sure they're doing an overhead squat and going through some of that basic stuff right away. Um, but right away, I want to get them doing some reps to kind of like really feel athletic and enjoy it. And then from there, it's really, you know, it's really trying to make sure they have end positions, you know, so it's make, trying to see if they have the bottom of a snatch, trying to see how their clean rack position is and just making sure they're going to be safely moving through the positions. And that's by, you know, by doing, you know, a clean grips, out press, snatch grips, out press, uh, just being down in those positions, doing a front squat with a, with a barbell, just making sure they have those end positions so it's safe for them. Um, so that's usually where I'm starting out is like, Hey, let's, let's get you, try to get you addicted to this feeling of being on your feet and moving and uh, jumping and exploding with a barbell. And then from there, let's make sure it's safe and we can get into end positions. And then it's just barbell work nonstop, like just not loading it too quickly for them. They're going to want to load it very quickly, but I might, you know, you, sometimes you do have to give the dog a bone. Is it like we were just saying about with competing yourself or competing or training type thing. Um, and, you know, if it's a safe movement or if it's safe power clean, they might be okay to be able to work up into that in the first month, not saying max, but some more weight or a back squat, but in the snatch of the clean, clean and jerk, I don't, there's usually no reason to, and it's just trying to get the foundation laid with that empty bar and just slowly building that technique. Sure. So if I'm, if I'm reading you right here, the beginners, you want to start at the top of the lift and work your way down, I would assume. And then second was ensure end positions. Then third, lots of empty bar by work. If we go to number two, ensure end positions. So as we know, the, the snatch in particular is probably the, the most complex movement we could put our body through. And for a lot of people that you know, maybe it's a, a mom or a dad that have spent years on the computer, not really lifting. It's a hard position to get into at the bottom. What, where does your mind go when you have somebody who, uh, you know, you, you start at the top of the lift, then you get to that number two, Jared, of ensuring end positions, and they just can't really get a good bottom position with a PVC or an empty bar. What do you do next? Yeah. And I think, you know, if you've been around a CrossFit gym a long time, it's like half the gym, you know, I don't know about half, but it's a lot of them. Like it's a big... I always joke like, if, hey, if I could pick one dream career, like one superpower, people are like, I want to fly and I want to do this. Like I could pick one superpower to make everybody's mobility perfect for weightlifting. Like, because it's so people who don't have it and they work for it. It is such a slow process. Like 
you have to be so diligent and it takes such a long time where if you, you know, a lot of people, maybe you're showing up at the gym and are 40 years old. Well, they've been sitting at a desk for 20 years and they're rounded. And I, you know, so first I'm like, I try to give them some context of like, Hey, it took you 20 years to get this tight, maybe 30, depending on like your high school and stuff. Right. Like it took you that long for your body to get this locked up. It's not going to happen in three months that you're just going to perfectly undo that. Like, so I try to, you know, <laughs> not, not some tough love, but just being honest and upfront, like, hey, this is going to be a process. So I tell them it will be quick. And then two months later, they're the same. They're like, oh, I'm just, they're not going to enjoy it. So that's one is get, trying to get some context about it. And two is it's starting to spend time in that position, like just spending a ton of time in terms of my, in, in general, from coaching weightlifting, I've seen the most mobility and flexibility gains in the snatch and manager by spending time in those positions. So if they're not able to go all the way to the bottom, it's still working on all those same things to work on mobility, you know, the snatch group shots, press snatch, overhead squat, snatch balance, you know, go down the list of just being in that position, even just squatting. Uh, but scale, you might have to scale it. So they might not be able to go down all the way, but you're going to go down as low as you can and hold it and pause. And after three seconds, you try to go an inch lower. And then after three seconds, you fight to go an inch lower and try to slowly let your hips relax. So it's just staying diligent with it and spending time in the positions is where I've seen most of the bang for the buck. In addition to, you know, a little bit of it, you have to obviously do general mobility stuff, whether that's, you know, just a general mobility routine. Yeah. Did you, what was that like for you? I mean, I imagine all of you guys at the Olympic training center were very mobile, obviously. What were some of the things that, or maybe you guys didn't address it, but did you address some mobility stuff? Is that something you continue to work on even when you're at the top of the game? I can't really think of any athlete that was training there that ever really worked on it. Um, didn't mean we didn't stretch and we do, but we had a, from like eight to eight thirty AM, we called it morning warming. So like it was just 30 minutes of like maybe 15 to 20 minutes of yoga type stuff, stretching. It was kind of Ramad. I mean, but not exactly Ramad, of course. And then we would do like, you know, some push-ups and some sit-ups. And it was just to get us awake and moving and alive. Oh, interesting. And then, but yeah, it'd be a lot of stretching, a lot of stuff and nobody talking. It was just kind of real light mood. And then um, some push-ups, like sit-ups, not max sets, just something to get a little bit, maybe a tiny bit of a sweat, but not really because our first training was at 1030. So like he didn't want people rolling out of bed at 930 to train at 1030 to go lift heavy, you know? Um, so we would stretch and we would focus on those things, but I never... I never really saw anybody struggle with mobility or the rack position wasn't very good or their snatch sure. catch. Like at that point, they were all like, we were all pretty, uh, we were mobile enough uh, for what we needed in, in the positions. Right. From your experience, Jared, would you say that since you've been through that um, every day at that 30 minutes, would you recommend that to somebody who is kind of an intermediate athlete that is struggling with getting into positions? Do you see a carryover into like, hey, 30 minutes before you head to work or 30 minutes before whatever, do some Ramwad, do some static stretching, uh, do some holds? Would you would you Im implement that to some of your athletes as well? Yeah, I think, you know, it's any time they can spend doing mobility is a plus. You know, some days it might be the only time they remember might be right before bed of like two minutes of a doorway stretch with their chest for their shoulders, you know, or like, I don't know, just it, some is always better than none in terms of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I'm not like an absolute expert on the mobility part. I, I usually tend to stay pretty specific with the lifts, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the mobility, it's just constant, it's consistently working at it over a long period of time. So if, if you go on for three days and you're off for three days, it's like, I'd way rather have you do less 
but do it every single day because your body's going to get used to trying to be opened up. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, anytime you can find the time and to focus on, it, it's going to be better in the long run for the athlete. Cool. I want to get into some specific types of people. I think everybody kind of gets into one of these camps here. We'll just go person by person, um, just avatar by avatar, I should say. And just talk to me a little about kind of where you direct this person, obviously without knowing them or seeing video is kind of tough, but Jared, talk to me about somebody who walks in the gym and they have really good overhead squat strength, but they just can't snatch a lot. The strength in the position is there. Um, you know, they, they're, they're able to rep out overhead squats, but the dynamic part of snatching is throwing them off. That person specifically, if you have somebody in mind, what are some things, what are some areas that you kind of point them towards as far as program design, exercises, et cetera? Yeah, I think first, I mean, then that's very common. You know, an athlete comes up and, hey, I over at squat 200, but I only snatch 140, you know, that type of thing. And it's like, and early on in my weightlifting, like I've always been pretty, uh, I've been pretty set in my thought on this and it hasn't moved for about a decade. Like, and that is like snatching will make you a great overhead squatter. Overhead squatting will not make you a great snatcher. So when you're doing the overhead squat, you're static. So you get it up in that position and you're and you slowly go down and you're able to slowly stretch your muscles. So like that on your chest, on your hips, whatever's tight, ankles, you know, whatever part of the body, thoracic spine you get it up into a perfect position behind your head and then you're able to slowly stretch your muscles and your body slowly gets used to it. Where in a snatch, you know, like you use the word dynamic. Yeah. You're pulling under the bar and you have to get there dynamically. So those athletes often will probably power snatch and then write it down. The reason they don't squat snatcher, they're not doing it is because that stretch is happening very fast, you know? So it's like falling on ice. You go to fall on ice, your body doesn't contract in a normal same way. It contracts like you're going to die and you end up doing spinning and all around. Well, that's what happens anytime your muscle is stretched or your muscle is stretched really fast is your body rejects it and the bar shoots, you know, they reject the bar forward violently. They go backwards. And that's why they catch it in a power snatch is because the muscle doesn't get stretched fast because they're upright and they're in kind of that static catch position, then they can slowly write it down. So my advice, so that's why it happens in my opinion. And I think why, um, and what they can do going forward is way less overhead squatting. Like they need to just be doing tons of snatches and writing the line at where they start to power snatch or where they're starting to not catch it low. Cause a lot of those athletes still can pull under with the empty bar with their first couple working weights. It's just, as it slowly gets heavier, they, they're catching higher and higher because their body will not stretch under that load that fast. So it's do it's doing a lot of dynamic stuff, changing that focus from like, Oh, my overhead squat's good to, Hey, we need to start pulling dynamically and just snatching a ton more and getting into that position to where we actually have to force ourselves. So if the, if, if the weight at, if it's 115 pounds where the usually you, that you see that breakdown start to happen, it's riding the line and doing tons of reps in and around that weight, trying to get your body more and more comf comfortable and confident in opening up, catching that. That's awesome, man. Really good stuff. So the, to you in your mind, the overhead squat, obviously a great lift, but a little bit more slower and doesn't have, if, if I'm reading you correctly, doesn't have as much carryover into the snatch. Do you have a, an, another exercise? The thing that comes to my brain would be like heaving snatch balance or snatch balance. Do you prefer something like that? Because it's a little bit more dynamic uh, in, in regards to helping to carry over into the snatch, or is it just like, look, you just need to snatch, 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 snatch. Um, yeah. So I like, I'll, I, I, I program pretty much all of those, you know, whether it's heaving snatch balance, snatch balance, drop snatch is positional accessories. 
So a positional warm up. So we might do all of those things, even a slow overhead squat or a clean grip overhead squat, or, you know, I, I will program those often before, you know, snatching or clean and jerking. Cause I just like them as a warm up. They're good mobility. You get strength, you get everything firing, warming up the positions. And it's not that the overhead squat isn't um, as useful as those things. It's just for that specific athlete. It's not near, it's not very useful again, you know, cause it's just that static. So I would tend to lean more to those other exercises because it forces them to be dynamic. And I would just have them turning over dynamically a ton and snatching like that a ton. And also, um, you know, for that athlete, you know, throw that squats good, but they're, you know, they can't squat snatch nearly as well. I would just probably four or five days a week, I'd be having them do snatch grip, you know, behind the next ox press, like almost every day, four sets of five minimum, because that bottom position, uh, that's the absolute foundation for the snatch. Like that is, that's what you have to have that because if you can't do a strict press and for those listening, if you haven't maybe done that, or maybe it's a different term for you, it's doing a strict press out of the bottom of a snatch with the bar in your back, uh, in a snatch grip. So it, it just makes sure that your bottom position, your shoulders are actually contractible. Like you're, they actually can contract up and fight against the bar where athletes who are leaned too far forward, where their mobility is not good. They can't do that. And that means it's unsafe. That's why their body doesn't pull under there. Like our bodies are protecting us. And that's why they're power snatching in that, um, in that example, because power snatching, they're upright. So yeah, it's just, um, you know, whether it's, uh, in terms of the dynamic or whatever, or having them do it, it just depends on the athlete. So in that scenario, I would have them do more dynamic stuff and less over at squat. Could you give an example of what a session might look like for somebody that has great overhead squat strength as we kind of wrap this up, a great overhead squat strength, but can't snatch a lot. So somebody that in your mind needs to work more dynamically, what, what is a typical session? I know it's not, this is a very generalized question, but what would a session look like? Yeah. So I'm going to, I probably would start by having them spend more time with this positional accessory. So like the warm-up. Um, so, you, you know, the general warm-up, you're going to do all the same stuff and you're going to do your general warm-up. You're going to do your barbell work. Okay. Now we're into the workout where we're on the bar. So I'm going to have them probably do two different warm-ups. I'm going to have them do something at that end range of motion. So I might just start with a snatch balance, just maybe four or five sets of double or triple. Um, starting with the empty bar is the first set. It's not meant to be heavy and, and doing it maybe every 90 seconds and then, you know, rest a minute or two and then go into maybe uh snatch grips, ox press three or four sets of five, same thing, just trying to get to the end range of motion, but again, just standing up higher in the squat if they're not able to do that. And then from there, I'm going to have them be doing probably a, maybe a snatch, a hang snatch. I'm going to work on that turnover a lot without probably trying to kill their low back. So I might be doing like just off the top of my head, I might be doing something to where I'm not, maybe it's a hang because then we can focus on their general strength later. So we can just get more reps in turning the bar over, right? So, or a hip snatch, a hang snatch, something from the blocks. So just doing maybe working up to 80% but or 75%. And early on, it's going to be a ton of volume, but at lightweight. So like I might even have them do... 12 to 16 singles at 75 to 80%, probably 70% uh, or 75%, sorry, just turning that bar over a ton, a ton, a ton. Because CrossFitters can relate to this too, where they're like, oh, you know, I, I hit my, I maxed out, I, I hit a PR and it was during an EMOM. And it's like everything we know about strength, like that makes no sense. You know, like you need two minutes rest and you got to do this. And it's like, what? But in an EMOM on the 17th minute of the EMOM, there's crushing a clean and jerk PR. And I'm like, 
I need like four minutes between sets. That is crazy. You know, because their body starts to react, it opens up, they stop thinking, the environment's good, there's music's good, like there's so many other factors that all of a sudden their body, but it's their body finally got warm. Like they finally did enough reps to where their body like is primed, you know, athletes warm up an hour, 45 minutes or an hour to run a, the best athletes in the world, NFL combine to run a 40 yard dash. You know, like they warm up that long to run for four seconds. Like that same thing kind of goes with the snatch in terms of getting the reps. And so for that athlete, that's what I'm going to do. Reps, 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 reps. And then we're just going to go into, you know, strength, whether it's back squat, some kind of pull, or even on a, um, something fun, you know, at the end, you, you might, you, you could find something fun to do, whether like a muscle snatch is designed to help you pull under the bar. It's like, wait, but you don't pull under the bar at all, but that's, it's actually designed to help you feel how to pull the entire way coming underneath the bar. So at the end, we might do a little strength finisher of like a, a hip or a hang muscle snatch and doing pull-ups and some accessories like that too. So that's, that's one person. I think if we move on, another person that might walk into the gym is somebody that can snatch as much as they overhead squat. So let's just say for just uh, equal numbers here, they snatch 200 pounds, they can overhead squat 200 pounds. Tell me about why that could be troublesome and also uh, what kind of direction you would point that person into. They snatch as much as they overhead squat. Yeah, that athlete, I think when I've seen that just from experience-based is that athlete probably needs more overhead stability work. It just means they're not able to support a heavier weight overhead, uh, which is going to be troublesome moving forward and increasing the snatch if they can't support an overhead squat a little bit, at least a little bit more than they're snatching, you know, and have some kind of a cushion. Um, like the example, um, you know, when I, I had never overhead squatted ever, and I think it's why my brain's been set this way for so long. I had never once overhead squatted. So it was like 2014, but at this time I had snatched 345 pounds. The first time I ever did an overhead squat, I worked up to a heavy set of three and I did 415 pounds. Mm. So like, I think it's why my brain set on it. It's because like, I had never once went over just from the rack, did an overhead squat. I just had never been in my programming. Um, and then I did it. I'm like, oh yeah, but it was snatching that got that strong. So, but then I couldn't imagine though, also looking back or even just coaching long enough, I could never imagine also being able to, let's say, snatch 300 pounds if I couldn't at least overhead squat 350 because there's that extra stability that's needed, that's required that, that you have statically in an overhead squat that you're going to need that cushion when you pull under dynamically in a snatch. So yeah, that athlete, I'm going to say just probably maybe their legs are a little bit weaker too. So it's just general strength for them. And then also, you know, they might want to start trying to work on that overhead uh, strength and just general support systems. So bench press, push press, overhead squat, things where they're supporting, you know, things with their upper, upper body. Mm -hmm. So these people generally just need to get stronger. I'm, I'm curious about the word over or the phrase overhead stability work and how you translate that just because I've seen, I've had, I've had athletes also that struggle with this. How do you look at overhead stability work? I, and I'm in agreement too, that I think that that's what they need. If they, if they, those two numbers are equal, how do you program design wise or exercise selection wise? What does that look like? Yeah, I, for me, it's big lifts. You know, it's going to be first focusing on like I think it's an underrated exercise and it's simple, but benching, like just being able to support a big weight and having your tricep and your shoulders and everything firing in the right, uh, uh, firing correctly. And then push press from the front for push press from behind the neck, because then you're working on your legs, your drive, and you're working on your finishing with your shoulders. And then you might be doing some overhead squats and, um, 
you know, so those would be the main kind of things I would be starting with for that exercise selection or just things where, uh, uh, where you're, the weight's going to be heavy because that's the issue is supporting heavy weight. We got to get you supporting heavy weight, you know, doing a lot of little tiny exercises aren't going to necessarily make you just support heavy weight. You want to be able to feel that heavy weight. Then from there, it like, it's going to be starting to do a lot of maybe some unilateral stuff, doing some single arm dumbbell press, um, maybe even some kettlebell stability work, you know, weight or walk type things where you're holding it overhead each arm, or even for fun, you might be having to do some lunges with one arm with a kettlebell, like, yeah, that looks crossfitty and that's fine, but it's also good for your shoulders and it's good for your shoulder to have to fire from all angles and be stable from all angles. Um, so just doing a lot of those kinds of things where you're, you're supporting weight, but then also you're making sure, Hey, we're going to be stable with a really narrow grip. We're going to be sterile, uh, uh, sorry, stable with a wide grip. So getting all the different grips, all the different planes in terms of the bench, the press trap, push press going, you know, getting the shoulder working in every way possible. And of course you need pulling in there. So, you know, we could talk about that too, but it's the same idea. Get something where you're doing heavy weight and then working on the stability with a lot of small kind of accessory stuff. Mm -hmm. And on top of developing that scapular strength, something that I've known just from going through a few iterations of weightlifting programs is that no matter what, no matter what season, no matter who you are, you're still going to squat. The squat never leaves any program that I've ever seen when it comes to weightlifting. And this, that could be probably pretty important with this second person we're talking about. Can you just uh, remind our listeners, enlighten us on why, why is that such a foundational movement, no matter who you are, what level you're at, what time of year, the squat is so crucial. Oh, it's everything. Yeah. Like having a, having a, not just a strong squat, but a very fluid and free moving squat is the, is, is a huge base for weightlifting and CrossFit and life. I mean, because it, it means your ankle mobility, your knees, your hips, thoracic spine. It means everything's firing in conjunction. They're working together. Muscles are relaxing, contracting at the right time. Um, that sequence of muscular contractions is good and your body's dynamic enough or mobile enough to be able to allow that to happen. Um, yeah. So it's, I mean, that's having that squat strength or just being able to do that squat is just the basis of, you know, our foundation of CrossFit and weightlifting. Um, and then just having that strength, like strength is never a weakness, you know, like you look at the best weightlifters in the world, their strength surplus is ridiculous. You know, they'll be like, Oh, this guy's squat jerking like Lou from China, or, you know, we can bring up some, some different weightlifters, but and I'm like, it's really, oh, I want a squat jerk. And I'm like, dude, you do, like your clean and jerk is, you know, your front squat, you front squat 20 pounds more than your clean and jerk. I'm like, he front squats like 200 pounds more, you know? So like there, he has such a surplus that the clean for you is completely maxable. Now you expect to do an overhead squat, AKA a squat jerk afterwards. Like, you know, you need that surplus and that strength. It's what makes all your positions too, because, you know, the pull off the ground in a snatch or a clean your body, uh, your back angle basically is a squat. Like your back angle should be staying relatively similar, which means your legs are the main driving force. So it's the foundation of the pull too. It's getting your legs strong to be able to create force on the bar. And then of course, standing up a clean or, you know, the snatch being upright. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's the foundation in terms of being able to produce force and get stronger in the snatch and the clean and jerk, uh, whether, you know, both on a speed aspect and a strength aspect of the squat. What are some mistakes if we're staying on the squat topic here? What do you think some mistakes people make when it comes to squatting and trying to raise up their front squat, back squat? Are there any common things that come to your mind right away? I would say, I mean, there's, there's a few that come to mind. I think number one is athletes uh, 
they get so focused on just the squat often too. Like, like they want to be just a squat program or just this. And it's like, there might be times and areas for that, but long-term it's trying to find a well-balanced program or a coach or somebody who has an idea that, Hey, you can do some other things and get better at other things instead of just squatting right now too. Like you don't need to just squat um, and taking the kind of the marathon approach to it rather than the sprint. And those programs are great, or you can even do those programs in conjunction with, an, you know, with a program. But um, so that's one is maybe just thinking that, oh, in two months, if I do this squat program, holy cow, you know, like I'm going to, you know, I need to get my squat up 50 pounds, you know, so just expecting maybe the results too soon and taking those steps behavior wise to do that. Um, and number two is I think maybe for CrossFitters, and I saw this more in the early days of CrossFit, but lately I've been seeing it a little bit again, but it's not, they're not maybe doing a actual high bar back squat where they're doing it low. And, and, and if their goal is to increase their snatch or clean and jerk, you know, it's like, we want you to be high barring or at least staying as vertical as possible with the torso upright going to max depth, because that's going to have the most carryover to the snatch and clean and jerk. So then if they're, you know, their squat isn't as good, maybe their mobility isn't either. So then they're struggling with mobility on the snatch and clean and jerk, but they're low bar back squatting. So they're forward and they're never, never hitting that end range of motion of the squat. Uh, you know, that's one I see too, where I just don't think the, execution of the plan in terms of uh, developing the squat or that mobility is as good. Sure. Never, never, uh, never skip the, the leg day, right? We need to be, we need to be squatting. doesn't matter who you are. If you're trying to get more fit and if you're definitely trying to increase your Olympic lifts, it needs to be a, 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 you know, a pivotal part of your, of your program design. Yes, it does. Yeah. You always, always gotta be squatting. Now I don't like to squat, but you always got to squat. <laughs> so the third person that I can imagine walking in, if we're kind of putting these people into buckets is somebody that, you know, they walk in and, and they have really good mechanics. Their overhead squat looks good, but they just can't snatch a lot. And perhaps this is somebody that's a beginner, perhaps also Jared, it's somebody that's very hyper mobile, somebody that, um, you know, maybe has a yoga background or somebody that can really get into end ranges. So it looks good with, a maybe an empty bar or PVC pipe, but they just don't have have the requisite strength yet and they just can't snatch a lot of weight what does that person look like what does program design look like how do you kind of steer them in a direction yeah for that athlete i would have a lot of static stuff a lot of holds so you know i've seen like some of those athletes yeah, the hypermobile it's like we got to get them holding positions and start building strength and awareness in that position of like hey that bar is way too far behind your head here so let's get it into the right position and let's hold and we're just going to hold for five seconds at the bottom of every single rep um, and for some athletes, they may not be snatching as much because maybe their technique isn't as good in the pull or the finish. But in that example of like, if they're hypermobile, I will be doing a ton of static stuff. And, and it's a little bit similar to number two in that strength is the key. Um, but also that with the third person here, I would be spending more, more time holding those positions where I feel like the, the mobility is too much, or they might have extra mobility. And like, for me, I've been very lucky in that way. I only bend just as much as I need to in the snatch and the clean. Like my wrists don't bend very well. My ankles aren't very good, but they bend just enough to get around positions. So I've never had to deal with that. But as a coach, I've seen it quite a bit. Um, and I just have, I, I would have them start holding every position. Like, I'm not sure I would ever have them snatch without pausing at the bottom for like a year, you know, just to, hey, that one was too far back. Okay, shift forward, now hold, getting them comfortable, getting them aware, building strength, building that foundation for them. Yeah. Would you also implement any sort of, you know, you, you say pause at the bottom, would you also implement any sort of like tempo eccentric work or something like that, where they're really trying to just build that integrity and get used to, you know, holding weight for an extended period of time. So it's not 
basically what I'm asking is, is not just the bottom. Would you have them hold in any other positions? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whether it was back squat with three or four second lowering or pulls with lowering. Yes. Doing a lot of tempo, a lot of, um, a lot of eccentric uh, lowering as well. And on the way up, obviously um, concentric, but yeah. So it's, I would have them be doing all variations of that and making sure, because it's not just, yeah, like you said, it's not just the end range. that's going to be weak or, or hyper mobile. It's probably going to be every position before that too, or they're going to need quality and they're going to need the foundation of keeping their back set in the pole because they just don't really have the, um, the core foundation to be able to hold that. Right. So yeah, I mean, trying to incorporate all of that, or I would at some point, it might not be in that two or three month cycle. I might be focused more on just one of those things, but over the course of say six months or a year, there's going to be everything in that, you know, with the temple at all different parts, pauses at all different parts, positional accessories of all different parts. And that's going to be the key of that program for me would be making sure that everything's slowed down. Like we're going to slow down. We're going to make sure that we're building this correctly over the course of time. Man, uh, something that you've said a couple of times, and I really love it because I, I really resonate with the idea of this long-term approach. I think a lot of people, whether it's media, how they grew up, um, their circle or who, who they surround themselves with, but it's just the idea of they want things now. They want things very quickly. And it just seems I've heard you say multiple times things like six months or a year or uh, you know three or four years. If we could, I know it's a little bit off tangent here, but talk to me a little about the idea of this long-term approach when it comes to weightlifting and how some things need to take a long period of time and it's not just going to happen today. Yeah. Um, well, first, I as a coach, I I'm, that's like my entire job is trying to, and I'm sure it is for you, is like, hey, this is going to take time. It's trying to slow people down. But as like my own personal athlete or like in general self, it's like, I am not patient at all. Like I, I need that coach to be telling me that all the time. Cause it's a, it's a trait I've like desperately have worked on and have been trying to work on, which who knows if it's getting better. But anyway, taking that long-term approach to it, um, it, it's so important because if they, you know, if there's not that long-term approach, they burn out instantly. Like I've had athletes who would come in and they're so good. And I feel like, Hey, this person moves well, they got technique, they're so driven, but it's like, it's almost like at the point of my coaching career, where like in the first month, it's like, I almost know the personality that like, if I don't find a way to get into their head and slow them down, they're going to be done in six months because they just go, go, go. And they want so much so soon. And they expect so much so soon that when it doesn't happen or they get some of it, but not all of it, like they're so disappointed that they're like, they move on to the next sport, you know, or they move on to this. And it's like, I want them to stay in it and enjoy it. And they can be that good, but it might be a year and six months instead of six months, or it might be three years down the road. And it's just from like, I think part of the reason I have that perspective is because in my weightlifting career, I really, for the first two and a half, three years of my weightlifting career, my technique was horrible. Like, Looking back at those videos and like that time and watching me move when I thought I was really good, I really had no clue about technique. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how the pull should feel, how the finish should feel. I very rarely felt that, you know, sensation of flotation, as I call it, that finish, that pull into the bar when the bar is weightless. Like I was, I, my mobility wasn't perfect in the, in the rack position and the clean. Like there was things, but I thought I was okay. And it wasn't, it took two, three years for me to finally have really fluent and open end positions. because I just didn't know any better. I didn't know how to work on it. And it took that long for me finally to go, what the heck? I've been stuck at the same snatch and clean jerk for two years or a year and a half at that point. I'm like, and that's all I do all day, every day. It's my full-time, like 
is just lifting. Why am I stuck? And I had to start looking at it, you know, and I'm like, well, my technique isn't very good. So I had to force myself to start learning and studying technique. And once I did that, I became a much better weightlifter, much more efficient weightlifter. Training became more efficient. And that's when I learned it. So it's never a linear and perfect path for the newer athlete or the athlete who uh, they're weightlifting, looking down the road one year, two years, three years, four years, you know, life happens, things happen, injuries happen. But for me, you know, knowing how long it took me to actually have some of the good mobility and some of the technique, as long as I was doing it and being around how many professional athletes across the U.S., like it's it's going to take time. Like it takes time to develop any foundation or anything that's worthwhile, whether that's your aerobic base, whether that's your weightlifting. So just having them start to enjoy, start to try to enjoy that process of like, hey, I do want you to want to do better right now. Like if you don't have that, we have issues. But also understanding we're looking for a month down the road, six months, you know, years down the road, because I want this to be enjoyable. And I want you to improve one pound a month for 12 months, not just one 10 pound PR, that type of that type of mindset, you know, where you're that's the efficiency that we're looking for. Yeah. And that can take a lot of, you know, psychology and, and athlete centric kind of coaching to get into their mind and just and just communicate that, too. I think, you know, I've. I've been lifting or I've been snatching clean and jerking for close to 10 years now. And it's like, if it's a one pound PR at my point in my career, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, they're just so hard to come by at this point. But I think it's another good thing that I have kind of learned along the way is don't measure your progress on your one rep max, because sometimes what happens is, especially in the sport of CrossFit is you start to slowly raise your minimums. At one point, the 225 snatch was like eh, hit or miss. I'm not sure how it's going to go. And now, now you're walking in and that's what I'm hitting every single day. So sometimes your progress that the upper end might not be moving up drastically, but your lower end is sure moving up and, and that, and that's progress in a different way. And so just because, you know, the one rep max didn't go up, there's still other areas that you can measure success. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you always, you know, it's always the phrase I use as well. Like we're on the same boat there, like raise the minimums to raise the maximums. You know, if you snatch, you know, 200 pounds and, but you sometimes miss 170 and 170 is always hard. It's like, you're going to have a hard time increasing above 200 because you should make 170 almost every single time. Like that should be a pretty, maybe 185. That's a different talk or 180. Um, Cause it, it just shows your, your consistency and your, uh, your ability to repeat the same exact thing over time, you know, and that's a huge part of it, you know? So like, I would consider myself, um, like that's all I focused on for probably five, six years. When I was like the last, how many of years I was training was that efficiency was that repeatability was on the minimums. Uh, when I started to really learn about that, and even in the early days, like even if we maxed out, I'm like, okay, I cannot miss below this weight. Like that, you know, that's I have to make it. Like I just never thought about it. Right? I just always would try to get up to that minimum first. Like that's the rock bottom for today. And some days that's all I got. But other days, you know, try to do better with it. But yeah, having that raising the minimums, increasing your efficiency. That's what that repeatability, that's where injuries happen way less because you're way more consistent. You're going to enjoy the sport. And then if you get that minimum up just a couple pounds here and there over the course of months, like that's a big deal. Like that's a huge deal for your ability to potentially hit a new max. Totally. Something else I wanted to talk about in this be probably because I've had some athletes kind of deal with this is the idea of just timing and timing is so crucial in the lift clean and jerk and the snatch and something i found jared with some of my athletes is that just over the over my career is that they want to grip and rip the barbell and they're they're strong enough to express the weight and sometimes too um 
you know, I'm talking about somebody who maybe misses something that's like 95 pounds and they do that because they just want to rip it so fast because it's a fast movement. How do you work with somebody who just needs to work on their timing better? One thing that's worked for me is a slow, I just call it a slow to a fast snatch. So I'll say off the ground, it's going to be a three second to the knee, and then you're going to explode through. And it's funny how some of these people can hit those one or max close to one or max numbers by literally doing a tempo into a snatch. Tell me a little bit about the timing. How do you coach timing and, and how do you talk to the people that just want to grip and rip off the floor, even at really light weights? How do you delegate that? And it, it's a, it's a fine line I can imagine. Yeah, it's uh number one, that's about, that's really similar to what I do or that exact same thing in terms of slowing them down, doing a slow, some type of slow pull snatch, some type of, um, hang some type of like tempo a building on the way up, you know, uh, pause at the knee, just anything to be like, Hey, let's smooth this out a little bit. Um, yeah. And then from that athlete too, my favorite for timing is like a snatch or a clean without moving feet. So you start in the landing position and then you just snatch and you can come up on your toes, but the foot should not move fully. So then your just heels just smack back down. And the reason it's my favorite is because athletes often get lost in their feel when they're pulling under the bar in the air. Like when they're in the air, the bar's in the air, they just kind of lose feeling or they don't really know what happens. And I always describe like, because I've been there in my weightlifting career. It was a decade ago at least, but I've been there and I used to like, I call it the miracle whip. Like that athlete really doesn't know what they're feeling or what's happening as they're pulling under. Somehow they're just kind of under, but they don't repeat it ever. Sometimes they jump forward. Sometimes they jump back. Sometimes the bar is forward. Sometimes they jump back and the bar doesn't come with them. Like there's so much, it's all over the place. And just because they don't really, they haven't created that feel uh, as they're pulling under when they're not connected to the ground. So when you're connected to the ground, the athlete always can feel the bar. And because their feet are on the ground and, you know, it's, it's stable, right? So even if you're up on your toes, it's my favorite exercise for the athlete because they're always going to feel the bar. They always feel the ground and it gets them to connect with the bar better, at least that from what I've seen. So I program that a ton. Uh, even if the athletes have good timing, I program it a ton. I trip, program it a ton for CrossFitters too, because it's maybe the most important snatch variation you can do for efficiency and CrossFit workouts is about moving your feet and being lazy. Um, snatching the bar but yeah if they're gripping ripping it you know and it's kind of a, <laughs> i say that sometimes to people when i'm like what I'm like i'm not going to really coach you i just kind of want to whatever just grip and rip it, just send it but uh no it's um yeah that athlete it's just about trying to slow them down develop that connection with the bar and that by for me i find keeping them on the ground helps sometimes yeah very cool I really like the idea that that no feet snatch. That's awesome. I'm going to, I'm definitely, I'm writing that down. I'm going to take that from one coach to another. So th <laughs> thank you for that. Um, what other, if we talk about CrossFitters and, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, the idea of crossing over two different sports here, what are some things that you would tell a CrossFitter, I guess, that maybe you wouldn't tell a weightlifter? How can a CrossFitter, maybe the better question is how can a CrossFitter become a better weightlifter? What is, what does some of those, those conversations look like? Because it's not, you know, step on the stage. Rarely is it step on the stage and you got the same um, movement standards and it's three lifts. It's very much a different sport. How does your conversations go with somebody who is a CrossFitter specifically who wants to get better at Olympic lift, uh, weightlifting? Um, yeah, if it's, if it's for their sports, so like if it, it, it's a CrossFitter trying to get better at weightlifting for CrossFit, you mean? Right, right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that athlete, it's, you're going to start doing some type of a weightlifting program. Like maybe you're still going to do CrossFit afterwards, or you might be doing a class or, you know, but doing a full hour long, at least like full weightlifting session, you know, you need to be seeing, um, maybe that would be for the competitor, for the fitness person who's like, doesn't try to compete, just doing something 
most days of the week, snatch or clean wise, like doing something to work on it, working on the sport consistently, finding ways to set up. And also what's, um, what's really helped me always at every stage of my career was being around other people who were also doing it. Like just being able to have somebody else and watch them snatch, watch them clean and jerk. Even if they aren't as good or are as good as you, is almost irrelevant. Being around somebody also doing it, I think is important, who's also trying to get their weightlifting better, just to have somebody um, alongside with you. But yeah, it's just seeing it more often. Um, if you're only seeing your snatch maybe once every three weeks or a month in class or uh, every couple of weeks in class, like you just need to see the movements more often. So just setting something up that could be very, very simple where Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm just going to go before class 30 minutes early and I'm going to you know, do a snatch warm up, then snatch. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to do some type of back squat. And then on Friday, I'm going to do some kind of clean and jerk warm up, then a clean and jerk, you know, where if it's, that would be for the person who's not trying to compete for the person who's competing, of course, you're going to be needing to see three to four minimum days a week of like a full strength session. If you're trying to then go compete in weightlifting, but at least something that's well-rounded to where you're getting all your bases covered from a strength standpoint. Well, as I mentioned before, one of my goals of the podcast here was to try to uh, come up with as many different avatars as I could. And it's pretty easy for me being a coach. I'm just like thinking of different people <laughs> at my gym and, and just trying to address it because I'm sure if it's at my gym, it's at several other gyms. And, and as we close down, I have a couple more avatars here. So t- tell me about Jared, somebody that uh, when they snatch lightweight, uh, looks good, feels good. And then when things start to get heavier, you start to see a lot of that early arm bend because they're kind of trying to yank it and finish the lift and you kind of see almost like a little bit of a jerk motion. Tell me about the people, uh, tell me, talk, talk to me about how you would go um, program design, cue them when things start to get heavy, you start to see that early arm bend because they're almost trying to, I would assume, compensate with their arms rather than trusting technique, perhaps maybe something else. Yeah, that's exactly what's usually going on is their arms are overriding their entire, uh, for the most part, they start, their arms start overriding their entire double knee bend slash sweep slash scoop. I call it an underphase, but it's just where you're getting back vertical to make contact. Like their arm bend, it, it's out of order usually. It's out of sequence. It happens too soon. So they don't get to use their hips, their legs to actually drive the bar. They're just using their arms to kind of row it back into them. So for them, it's a little bit similar to um, when we talked a little bit ago, but I'm going to slow them down a little bit. So I might like do some kind of a slow pull snatch. I'm going to have them do a lot of hangs and variations of hangs. So I might start with hang that's just above the knee. And then if there's no arm bend there, I might go to a mid hang, which is going to be at the knee and just slowly lowering it from there. But once they get to a weight where their arm bend is starting to happen, I'm going to back them down 10 pounds, make them do a rep. Then we're going back up 10 pounds. Okay. We're just going to teeter totter over that line back and forth. Just like we're going to stay at this weight where this starts to happen. And the only cue I'm giving you, Hey, relax the arms, trust that your, you know, your lower body is going to do the work and they might need some drill work because they might not know, or they might not be hitting their, um, under phase position, their power position to where they're getting into a vertical torso position, making contact at the hip. Uh, so I might, you might have to be doing some empty bar drills to make sure they're hitting some of those positions as well. But oftentimes it's not a strength issue in that scenario. It's just that they get over, they get over anxious. They just want to rip, like they get right above the knee. They're like, they just give everything and they just, and, but it shows is their arms and not their lower body. So it's getting the arms to relax so the lower body can actually do the work. Totally. Probably spending more time at a sub-maximal weight. I think sometimes people get near that PR and so for some reason they start to change their technique where it's like, man, the two lifts before that were so good and so fluid. And really it was only 20 pounds away. And now you're starting to change your technique 
perhaps because it's a, it's a psychological thing. They're getting their head. It's supposed to be heavy. So they're trying to change and trying to compensate. But uh, other than that, my guess would be just let's spend some more time. Let's say that's like a 95% lift. Maybe we just need to spend some more time at 80, 85, really drilling in before we start to, or, you know, like you said, raise the minimums before you start raising that maximum because you just can't express that yet. Yes. And that's a, that's a huge, um, that's a huge topic or a foundation of like training and becoming a master. I feel like in any craft is that when you do, I mean, thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of reps of movement, snatch or clinch over the course of your career, when you get to a max weight, there's like your body won't even let you do something different because it's just all you know is how to snatch this way. And like, that's the most efficient. And even if you try to do something different at that max weight, your body is so trained that it's just going to go to that way. Like you don't see an Olympic champion to, or try, uh, Olympic silver medalist trying something different when he misses his third attempt clean injury. Like you never, ever see that at the top level. Um, so it's, that's what those 80 and 85% reps build is the foundation of confidence in the head is the foundation of confidence when you're on the bar at 60%, at 80%, at hundred percent, you're approaching the bar and those 80, 85% reps are what create you not to be able to have to think technically about the lift, because that's when you get the same repeatability of the movement is when you're not thinking something technique wise all the time, you're able to flow, you're able to breathe, you're able to move your tiger woods swinging a golf club, right? At a certain point, he doesn't want a coach telling him something different to do every single rep because he'd become a robot. He'd have no feel. He couldn't self-diagnose. He would be spoon-fed. You know, Steph Curry shooting the three. It's like when they're flowing, it's just in and in. It's just you get into a rhythm, a flow. There's not much thinking going on when they're at their best, you know, and it's because it's repeatable over and over and over. Their body takes over. But that's because of all the work they've put in prior to that, right? And the same thing with weightlifting and that's where my programming usually lives is 75 to 90% in that general range, because those are the reps that give them that confidence and just makes it repeatable. May hopefully in the long run, will get them not to have to think about their technique when they're approaching the bar. They're either just thinking about having fun, getting mad, or just, just lifting the weight, you know, depending on the personality. Totally. And that I have two, so two more people and you kind of addressed it already, but two more before we kind of wrap things up. The other, the other person would be, that they just overthink. They overthink the barbell. They're thinking about all these different cues and they have so much in their mind. Uh, talk to me a little about, you know, do you have, do you tell this person, I just want you to think about one thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's one cue, maybe it's get tall, whatever it is. What do you say to somebody that's just overthinking their lift every single time? And because of that, uh, they're just not as consistent as they like to be. Is there, do you say one thing, don't think about anything, uh, just look a certain place. Well, and I'm sure it's person dependent, but what, what do you say to somebody that's got too much on their mind? You know, this one is, uh, this one could be tough. This one could be harder to deal with in a way, because you have to be much more aware of what you say and when you say it as a coach, because you might say one little thing but then you didn't know they spent two hours last night looking at their own video. And like most of the people who overthink that I find usually already move pretty well. Like they're already moving pretty well, but they're just nitpicking and dissecting everything. So I actually often go the opposite end of the spectrum where I try not to talk technique much. I try to just make sure they're feeling good. I try to make sure they have the right music on. I try, you know, I try to get their mind just away from it. So I try to, you know, I might say things like rip it and rip it. Or I might say, oh, this and that, or just have fun or, hey, just do the same thing again. Let's go, you know? And then if they ask a question, there's oftentimes as a coach, I avoid the question and just don't answer it. Oh, that, I'm like, that looked good. You know, look good. What? Oh, yeah, but I jump back or this or like I jump back or yes, but 
was my, how was my right arm on the lockout, you know, or this? And I'm like, it looked good. Just do the same thing. Like I'm not, I kind of avoid the question and just, just like, that still was awesome. And you're moving well and we're building because I know if I answer that question and have you think about that tiny little jump back, or if I have you think about that little bit of lockout, that's not going to do you good for the rest of the session because then you're only focused on that when it actually was solid. Or maybe there was something else we're working on at that moment that was more important. Um, or previously that week we had been working on where I'm like, okay, I want you to stay focused on that. And let's not go down this rabbit hole of me answering that and then knowing you're going to overthink. So usually I try to, um, I'm much more selective in what and when I say things to them. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's really good. That's really good coaching advice too. And for, and for me, it's something just personally, usually what I think about, I just, I just kind of say to myself as I approach the bar, finish the poll. That's really it. Then it's not, you're not overthinking and the movement is so fast. You don't have time to think about that stuff. I mean, if you do, you're going to be automatically slower than when you are, if you're not. So it's just like, say, say the mantra, do what you got to do and then grab the bar and go. And it, as you're grabbing the bar, getting into the hooker position and kind of getting ready to go, that's not, that's not the time to start thinking about other things. We got to be locked and loaded. So uh, I think everybody's a little bit different. I just know that works for me because of the, you know, the areas and faults that I have. So I guess what I would, what I would say as a coach also is just think about just just one thing, not anything more than that, because you're going to end up moving slower, whether you want to or not. Absolutely. I would 1 million percent agree with that. Even for myself, I just, it's usually one thing and usually you tell myself one thing or having a mantra. And most of the time it's nothing to do with technique. It's just something that I, I want to be motivating or some mood I want to be in or, uh, but yeah, for those athletes, just one thing, Hey, set up when you're struggling, think of this, like, Hey, if, at the worst, darkest days that whatever, this is usually what kind of falls wrong on your lifts. Like yours might be, Hey, finish your pull. Or maybe you have a tendency to be a little bit quick through that phase as opposed to finishing it. Like that's perfect. That's simple. That's the one thing that you're focused on. Yeah. I love that. Like that's, that's huge. With the one thing or a mantra, those have always been huge. And I've been like a, a mantra, a self-talk. Like I, sorry, going down some of this stuff too, but like mindset, like my uh, self-talk, it's like, I made when I coach athletes, I try to have them be hyper aware of their self-talk because I knew how bad I was at it in my early weightlifting days and how much better I got at it in weightlifting and CrossFit just when I became aware of it. Like, you know, I would never talk like, you know, just a lot of things that, you know, reading and listening to it's like, I became a 10 times better athlete when I became aware of my own self-talk and checked myself on my own self-talk. Like, Okay, I get that you say that to yourself in your own head mid workout. Oh, I'm so slow. I'm never going to finish. Oh, I'm two rounds behind. And it's like, or in weightlifting, it's, oh, my technique stinks. I always catch it forward. I'm never going to snatch over 180. It's this. And it's like, what? Like, what good is that? Like, if you said those kinds of things to your job, you would be fired. Like, that kind of attitude and a mindset is horrible. And it's just, so I had to like, okay, why am I thinking that? And I had to reflect on that. Why am I mid-workout while I'm like pouting in my own head? Of course, I'm slowing down. Or mid-session in the snatch, I'm literally telling myself I suck. Of course, I'm not in a good mood. And then I can't get into a zone that's going to free me up to then lift better because my mind basically controlled my body in that sense. So for me, it's, uh, especially with weightlifting, it's trying to, and, and in CrossFit, it's I try to make people all the time as a coach check in with their self-talk and be aware of it so they can move forward and enjoy it and be happier. And also just so they um, mid-workout or whatever, they're going to get a lot more out of themselves if they know how they talk to themselves and how to get that to stop at certain points if possible. 
Totally, man. I really jive with this. And this has been a topic on my podcast several times about self-talk. I'm curious now. So we heard some of the negative things that maybe went through your head. How, how did you, how did you change that? What were some of the positive things that maybe you went, that you went through that to kind of help shift that mindset? Were there some things that you specifically remember? Um, I don't know if it was, I, I think I had a few bad, um, I had a couple of big blow up moments, like in training where I would be doing a workout or a tester or a qualifier, and I didn't do as well as I want. And I was just like livid all day. Like I would be so mad and so upset, but then I'm like, okay, I watched the video or I did just think about it. And I'm like, I don't, I know what I was thinking on that round. I exactly remember it. I was just two hours ago. Like what the heck? So then I'd sit down and I think, and I'm, so I just started kind of doing it on my own a little bit where I'm like, so then I thought back to like high school wrestling days or football or golf. And I'm like, I would never in the third period of a wrestling match be like, oh, you're way more tired than this guy. Oh, he's up two points. Like, oh, so he, I'm just going to let him get up five, you know, because you get around behind somebody and it's like people have a tendency to slow down because it's like, oh, they're too far gone. I can't catch them. But if they're one rep ahead of you, it's like, oh, I could catch up. It's like, that's only psychology. Like, and that has nothing to do with them. It's only your perception of how far away you are. So then you, you got less of a workout because then you're like, oh, I can't catch them. So there's a lot of things like that that started going on in my head where I'm like, okay, I remember the, a couple of days later, I'm like, if that starts, if I start going down that rabbit hole of like, I'm not in good shape, I'm not where I need to be, I'm never going to make regionals this year. It was like all these things that I would constantly repeat, repeat to myself. I'm like, just try saying in your own head, just try talking to yourself. That's okay. But you're gonna get you're gonna go harder in this workout than you ever have. Like you might not do this, and you might still stink. Like all these things that you're saying, like hey, you might actually be right. But this workout, just this one, you're gonna go as hard as you ever have. Like and just like little mantras and things like that, where it's like okay, five minutes left, then let's send it and see what happens. And enough of those positive trying different things and techniques in my brain, because that negative self talk never ever has stopped for me. Like it's not like I just. It was like, oh, I got it to stop. No, it always stops or it always comes. It's just how I handled it and approached it. And it's evolved over the years and I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, I would say recently I need to check in on it again because I've had a lot more negative self-talk as I've been getting back into fitness. Um, but I also know why that's happening. So it's just more reflection and the total package of kind of that mental health mindset type stuff. But yeah, this is a crucial part of uh, not only, not only just life, not to underestimate it, but life and CrossFit, but I think weightlifting more than anything, because you're by yourself out there, you're training by yourself. A lot of the times uh, when you're on the floor, it's you and that barbell. And at the end of the day, that's all you got is you and the voice in your head. You know, your coach can only do so much. It's, it's what, what, what goes uh, in between those two ears. And so if you are trying, and, and if you're trying to be an individual uh, CrossFit athlete, same thing, if you're in any individual sport, more than anything, I think your self-talk needs to be up to par. And so if you, if the, somebody out there is struggling with Olympic weightlifting in general, I would kind of step out and say, you know, let's not even look at your technique and all that. Let's see what's your mind game like first, let's start to correct some of that stuff. And maybe we don't have to correct anything and there's always something to correct, but maybe we don't need to correct as much as we think we do in the gym. Maybe it's the mindset stuff that needs to get corrected first. I think there could be a lot of value in that. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah. And it's never, I don't know, for me, it's been important in weightlifting, like weightlifting, we're ch it's chasing imperfection because yes. when you PR, yes. well, like your friend, the first thing they say is like, go up five more pounds. So like you enjoy it for like seven seconds. You're yeah, like, go, go up. It looked good. Yeah. Go up. You know? And it's like, okay. And then you miss it and you miss it and you leave. And you're like, dude, 
They're like, nice job, you PR. They're like, I know, but I almost made that other one. And it's like, that's what they're focused like. You had like seven seconds of glory, man. Like, enjoy it, you know? So that is a big part of it. And even with the self-talk, for me, it's, I know it's chasing imperfection and seeing everything as a journey really has helped me. And I think that helped my self-talk too, where it's um, just finding like calming mechanisms where that self-talk isn't going well and it's still just really, really bad. It's like, I try try to find my ways to pull myself away from that, whether it's just being like mine and CrossFit always was breathe and fight. Like, so like when I started to get really negative in my own head, I came back to focusing on my breath, but then I still had to be aware to tell myself to fight, to keep up the pace. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, and if I would have learned that or had some of those uh, techniques that I kind of got and evolved with in terms of uh, the self-talk and how to handle it and finding calming mechanisms or checking back in when I just weightlifted or in my early days of CrossFit, like it would have been a total game changer for me. And I think I would have not been so disappointed with my weightlifting career. Um, not that I regret anything. I mean, I'm glad everything's happened just the way it has. It does for, you know, and it led me to a lot of good things coaching wise. I think I became a better coach because of it. Um, but it just would, it can help people save a lot of time of frustration and getting down on themselves if they're just aware of it, of just having a conversation and, and figuring that out. So totally. And for those that just need the reminder, newsflash, uh, CrossFit and weightlifting is fucking hard. It's hard. It's a hard sport. It is, I mean, it is. It's yeah. it's two very hard sports and you're dependent on your body, different positions. There's a lot of lifestyle things that go into it. And I think sometimes, sometimes we as coaches or just fans of the sport, just forget, like, in my opinion, these are two of the hardest sports that you can ever get into. So cut yourself some slack, be okay with, there's going to be good days and bad days, have that long-term approach and correct that self-talk and just know that just because you had one bad snatch day doesn't mean that you're a bad lifter or anything like that. That stuff is going to happen. I'm assuming even at the Olympic training center, you probably had some of those days and just don't treat it like it's the end of the world. I think sometimes in weightlifting specifically, at least the circle that I've been in is some of the people at the gym, they get so down on themselves because they weren't able to match their PR. It's like, look guys, that, that that's, that that's a PR for a reason. It's not supposed to be an everyday thing. Um, I think it's just needs to be reminded again that both of these sports are very difficult. Take a long-term approach. Um, just, just kind of reiterating for anybody that needs to hear it. Hopefully that resonated with you. Jerry, the last person that I wanted to get to last avatar before we close it up is somebody that is just inconsistent with Olympic lifts. One day they can hit 90%. The next day they came and hit 80. It's every other day. It's up and down. Last avatar here is what, what advice, what kind of program design, how do you steer them in the direction? If they just want to, they just need to be more consistent. Uh, consistency in the lifts for me, I think number one is I would, I would say their technique and their finish is off. So they're not, when they meet the bar at contact, they're, that position probably looks slightly different almost every single time. And that's what leads to cons- inconsistency in the lifts. Like you can get away with a lot of things in the snatch and clean and jerk. If you have a good power position, like your pull really can be pretty bad. Your catch can be pretty average. As long as you have a good, if you get into a proper power position in the right sequence, you can have, you can be bad in a lot of other areas, but be really consistent. Like people who really struggle with hip snatching or hang snatching, that's probably this athlete because they're so inconsistent where if you don't make contact at a consistent point or at a consistent time, you have zero chance of being consistent. You're either going to meet the bar and your torso is over the bar. So it's going to be a kettlebell swing, a hinge finish. You're either going to make contact high thigh in the belt the next time. Like everything's just off. So I think it's just dialing in the technique. Like 
the top lifter, I just don't see it with like professional lifters I've been around where they're going to be consistent like that because their technique's consistent. If their technique's consistent um, and in the power position, they're going to make that, they're going to be much more consistent on a day-to-day basis. So for me, it's just checking back in and trying to find with that athlete, hey, nine times out of 10 that I've experienced that, it's something in their finish that's creating that inconsistency where that's one of the main things I focus on with all athletes is that getting into the power position into the right time, timing of it, contact point, all those things is because it does create that consistency, which makes the sport more fun, totally. right? It's just like, totally. yeah, it makes it so much more fun. Even if other areas or things are going on, it's like, I like to focus on that first because without that, I don't care if even, you know, something's going on in your start position or the catch because it, you can't make up for that. Like you're not going to make up for that off power position. Totally. Last question. It's kind of a clickbaity question. You can take it how you want. Um, it's kind of people like, you know, uh, lists. So give me three things, Jared, that you would give to somebody. I don't know who this would be, any, any, or what level this would be, but three things to improve your snatch could be an exercise, could be a mobility thing, could be a, whatever, what are three top things for somebody to improve their snatch? Uh, consistency, meaning you're doing it more than one times a week. Uh, I would say variations. So making sure you're doing snatch variations. If you know how to lower the bar in the snatch, you know how to raise the bar, you know how to pause at the knee, you know how to do a hang, you have it, your body knows the position. So that's what variations does. It makes your body understand and know the positions perfectly. Uh, So consistency, I would say more than one time a week snatching variations. And then I would also uh, squatting. I mean, just it, it's the best exercise there is. You like strength, like strength is never a weakness and it's going to allow you to keep your back set and your back angle stay the same throughout the lift. So in addition to snatching, of course, those are all the things, consistency, um, variations, and then uh, building a solid foundation of just a back squat or a front squat. Cool, man. Jared, that was a lot of fun. I think uh, there's a lot of takeaways for people. Hopefully we kind of addressed everybody in different camps. Uh, if if uh, my listeners want to kind of follow you, get coached by you or have them watch a lift, something like that, what are some areas that I can point them towards to kind of get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, my Instagram is just at Jared Anderson. Uh, I've got everything on there. I coach uh, running Victor's weightlifting programming on there. So that's where I do all my coaching through and I do weightlifting seminars as well. But yeah, if you, if you check me out on Instagram or Facebook, also this Jared Anderton. Um, yeah, you'll find all my links and all that good stuff on there. Cool. And do you have, I think I saw it at one point, or do you, do you assess, uh, analyze people's lifts? Is there, is there a kind of a coaching thing that you can do for people to do that? Yeah. So uh, just Invictus weightlifting, it's the programming plus video analysis. So athletes who um, follow other programming still could join to get video analysis, but it's not like I don't necessarily market it just for video analysis, even though I should just be like, hey, if, you, if you're doing other programming, I'll still analyze your lifts. It's actually, hey, we had a good business idea going on here. We might have to totally. pull it out. <laughs> totally, man. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, Jared, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate you stopping by, man. Um, guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to reach out to Jared or I. Tell us what you uh, got out of it. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, what you got out. And if you need any help with your snatch and clean and jerk, let us know. We'd be more than happy to assist you in any way possible. And guys, if you enjoy the show, be sure to refer to a friend and leave a rating and review. That stuff helps a ton. We'll see you next week for another edition of the My Fit Podcast. Take care.